Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. ready when you are yep i'm ready hello and welcome to another edition of the illegal motion college football podcast in los angeles i'm the professor matt perkins and flexing his hashtag dad brand in nashville tennessee it's the coach Corey burton it's going to be quite a strong brand after this weekend we've uh actually matt we've got the mrs professor in town uh, she is visiting here in Nashville, so it's been a pleasure to have her. But, you know, they're out doing uh, doing wedding stuff. And so here I am, hashtag dad to the bone. All right, all right. Finally, uh, the third amigo in our second city, our resident Nostradamus. It is our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. And before you say anything, Josh, um, this is to the world. In case that you... You cannot say that no one said that they saw the Texas loss at Kansas coming because I have a little something to share with you guys. It's from uh, episode 74 of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast from October 13th. You know what? You know what? I'm going to double down. I'm going to make an insanely bold statement. Do it. The Texas Longhorns play TCU November 25th. The week before, six days before, on the 19th, they traveled to Kansas. I think, I think Texas is going to be looking past that game. Texas is going to have a couple wins. They're going to be feeling good about themselves. They're going to be in position for an okay bowl game. Some of the storm has even quieted about Charlie Strong. And Kansas is going to stun them. Um, that would be the last nail in the coffin for Charlie Strong. And I believe that that was the last nail in the coffin for Charlie Strong. Josh, kudos to you because you called this 37 days ago. Well, you know, I just got off the phone with uh, my good friend David Beatty, and he said that now that he's turned Kansas around, he's going to put his resume into Austin. Yeah, he's going to be taking the Texas job. Oh, good Lord. Absolutely. So. Uh, I mean, Josh, you, you, I've, I've known you for a long time. You've made a lot of ridiculous statements in, your, in, in our uh, you know, time as friends. And that was probably the most ridiculous of them. And that is far and away the most ridiculous of them to ever come true. Oh, yeah. I mean, for my ridiculous predictions, I'm probably batting about mm, 100. <laughs> yeah, if you're lucky. Um, that was, I mean... I, that, that was absolutely phenomenal. So um, it was a, you know, not probably the most competitive of weekends of, of the season, but we had some really good games. Um, but we're going to start today uh, with a conversation about the group of five. But uh, we really want to start with the American Conference, sort of. And I want to ask a question, because this arose out of a conversation we were having earlier this week, Josh. Um, is the American Conference right now better than the Big 12? Uh, I believe it is, and I know that you believe it is, too, because we kind of ran through it. So, um, 
I guess the method to our madness was uh, we sort of ranked each team in the conference itself and then went one versus one. And, you know, we had Houston be a little bit better than Oklahoma. Um, Oklahoma, we had a head of West Virginia. <clears throat> and then we ran through the same exercise with the ACC. And, you know, we came to the, the conclusion that the American is so good up the middle. Um, South Florida, Navy, Temple, Tulsa, even Memphis. These are teams for a litany of reasons you do not want to play. Uh, Tulsa, for instance, uh, I compared them to like a Formula One racing car where they sort of need all the conditions to be right and they take a little bit to get going. But when they're firing on all cylinders, their offense is so incredible, it's, it's impossible to catch up with them. I, I would not want to play them if I was a plotting team like Kansas State, um, if I was an offensively challenged team like Texas. So, you know, we put Tulsa ahead of a lot of Big 12 teams, and I, I think that this weekend really played that out as Oklahoma showed that West Virginia wasn't very good. Um, you know, Texas had the bad loss. Baylor is free falling. And then the other thing we did, just comparing TCU. TCU. I mean, TCU, yeah. uh, Texas Tech, I mean, yeah. they were horrendous. Yeah. Um, the other thing that we did was just looked at Houston and Oklahoma's. Really quick. Yeah. Uh, we looked at Houston and Oklahoma's schedule and just compared their week one opponents, week two opponents, and so on, and just – you know, checked which one had the harder game, and it came out six to six. And so um, this stems not only from the American discussion, but a feeling that I had, and someone who does my own poll, obviously it's not as big as the AP or the coaches, but um, I think we just lost sight of how good Houston actually is. They fell out of the rankings after that SMU game, but their two losses are Navy, who's got that crazy triple option that's hard to prepare for, and SMU is their arch rival. And SMU goes into that game, you know, as the little brother for the last several years, really almost like the last decade, and got it all together and won that game. And I think if you were to put Houston's resume to a Power 5 team, they would have been a top 10 team. And the example I used was Miami. You know, what if Miami had lost to Georgia Tech, a really tough team to prepare for, and then lost to, um, let's say, like a Central Florida or a South Florida, you know, a, a team that's a rival that uh, for the smaller school, they care way more about it than, than Miami did. If Miami had beaten – Oklahoma the way they did, they would have been a top 10 team. And I think it's just unfortunate that we lost sight of Houston during the course of this year. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, they, they've had some growing pains because they are still a pretty young team aside from uh, Greg Ward. But, you know, th their defense has been coming along nicely. And, you know, we saw the culmination of that against Louisville. They kept Lamar Jackson to under 250 total yards, which had not been even been close to being done before that. So, you know, I think that we forget that, oh, well, we assume that, okay, well, they're the American. Well, you know, so how good can they really be? Because they're from a small conference. I don't, I think this conference designation is starting to matter less and less. 
Um, I mean, we know there's a lot of really good football being played in the Mountain West as well. Um, you know, I think that there are, you know, a number of Mountain West programs that are in much better shape than your Oregon States or Arizonas of the world. Yeah, I mean, Colorado State, speaking of the Mountain West, I mean, they bounced back in a huge way uh, this week against New Mexico. I mean, New Mexico comes in, uh, they they were coming in at 7-3 and three and having a pretty nice season, and, and Colorado State just put it on in 49-31. Stevens, you know, had two touchdowns. Uh, he was 9 of 10, so they were efficient there as well. But, I mean, you know, you have Air Force Academy. You know, you have all three service academies that are, that are uh, rapidly improving, with Navy being the best of all three. Uh, more consistently, even though Air Force does have the Commander in Chief Trophy this year, uh, Air Force is a team that you know they're 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 starting to be a force to be reckoned with, and Troy Calhoun is is uh, is a legitimate candidate in the Purdue job. So um, you know he could be he could be on his way out. But uh, you know you have San Diego State who who has the best running back in the country could compete with anybody. Uh, they they took one uh, on the chin to Wyoming. Uh, 34-33 in a game that, you know, looking at the beginning of the season, they were going to, you know, you, you thought, okay, Wyoming, they're gonna, Donald Pumphrey's going to have a career day against Wyoming, yada, yada. It's just the Cowboys, whatever. You know, they'll, they'll be improved but still mediocre at best. And, you know, Wyoming's just proving that now they, they're starting to kind of belong in this group of five. And uh, Hawaii bounced back with a, with a big win, even though it was by the skin of their teeth. You know, a win is a win when you're struggling. And uh, they beat 1-10 in 10 Fresno State, 14-13 there. Uh, Air Force, again, I, want, uh, I meant to mention their score. They won 41-38 this weekend over San Jose State. San Jose State, a team that came in and actually uh, disappointed us, and we, we expected more out of them. But, uh, you know, Boise State having a big win over UNLV this weekend. Uh, they moved to 10-1. They're in the polls, so they could, you know, they could look at uh, a possible New Year's Six Bowl uh, if Western Michigan were to trip up, uh, which, you know, you look at the MAC conference and you look at what's going on there with Western Michigan, P.J. Fleck, there's no way, no way that he's going that his boat's not going to be rowing somewhere in a Power Five uh, conference next year. Somebody's going to offer him an insane amount of money. So stay tuned to where he goes and wherever he goes, that program's going to get better immediately. I don't know. I kind of I got the feeling after watching one of the pieces about him on game day this weekend. By the way, great job in Kalamazoo, despite the weather for game day this weekend. Yeah. But after watching one of the pieces, you know, I, I get the feeling he's the kind of guy that might just be really happy to create a, a a powerhouse there, not necessarily move on down the road. So maybe you know, maybe it's he's a case of uh, you know a, a Boise a Boise State situation. Well, I think the the, the Let's talk about how good the American is this year, um, despite flying under the radar, and how improved the Mountain West is with with New Mexico being a little bit better, Colorado State having some nice strides under Bobo, and Wyoming, obviously, and San Diego State and Boise State. I think it gets to the argument that we've had, where the, con- the, the playoffs really has to be eight teams at the very least. You get the five champions and you get three at-larges and one of those three at-larges has to be a group of five champion in your tournament and if more than one group of five champion is high enough ranking, then great, put them in. And I think a really good example of why this tournament is so silly is you just have to look at the FCS. 
They already announced their bracket. It's out. The first eight all get buys. It's a 2014 tournament. And I know that there are people out there who, you know, bitch and moan that, well, the FCS plays a smaller schedule. Well, Sam Houston State, 11-0. So that's one fewer regular season game. It's not like they're playing eight-game seasons. They're playing almost a full schedule of 11 games, one fewer than we play, and they have no problem figuring this out. It's the dumbest thing to have a committee of, like, 15 people that no one can figure out what their rationale for picking teams is. And Desmond Howard on game day, or it might have been on PTI before game day, but Desmond Howard was giving an interview. He had a great point. He said, this is not a playoff. It's the BCS with an extra game. That's exactly what it is. The selection process is flawed. And I know that, you know, we've gotten better champions. I don't think people are doubting Ohio State or Alabama, like they did during some of the BCS-era title games. But to call this a playoff is really a sham. It's a disservice to the word playoff. Playoffs? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, um, let's keep moving from there. We can sort of switch. We already started talking about sort of the American and the Mountain West there. Let's go into talking about the Big 12. And, you know, Josh, as you foretold, uh, you know, in your, as you foretold in your in your statement uh, more than a month ago, uh, this would put Charlie Hong on the strong in the hot seat. And my question is to you guys, I guess I'll start with you, Josh. Does Charlie Strong even have a job at this time next week? Well, I think the only reason they would keep him is, if I'm not mistaken, that is a Friday after Thanksgiving game, I want to say. It would be a pretty tall task for an interim coach to give him, you know, five or six days to, to put everything in place. It's one no, game. What, what, no, what I'm saying is that at this time next week, so they'll let Charlie Strong have, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, he's fired for sure. I, I thought your question was if he's going to be fired before the TCU game. Oh, no, 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 no. It's if it's, you know, at this time next week after yeah. the TCU game. Yeah. Oh, no, he's done. He's done. Yeah, he's definitely. I mean, I, I would I would say – uh, I would say there was a really good chance of him being gone uh, before the Kansas game, and reports came out that he was pretty much gone anyway. Um, but this all but seals his fate um, for the University of Texas, and I, I think it's you know I, I think you know they're, they're going to try to show him as much. They say they're going to try to show him as much dignity as as they can, uh, but that's going to be hard to do. Um, I, I think they just need to be swift with it and just go ahead and just go ahead and uh, cut him loose. And uh, I think that would be probably the most – I don't want to say humane because it's kind of a strong word, but probably the most humane way of, of cutting him. Yeah, um, I, I, that, that sort of feels like what's going to happen. Well, the big news uh, from the conference this weekend was Oklahoma's destruction of West Virginia in, in, in Morgantown. Um, so, uh, Josh, I know you were watching that game for a little while. Uh, what impressed you most about Oklahoma? Yeah, that's about how long it was a competitive game. <laughs> uh, well, we, we had talked at length about how West Virginia, the reason they were having such a successful season is their defense had, had come alive and Oklahoma just 
shredded them. They, they could score at will in that game. Um, you know, 56 points obviously tells a pretty good story, but it was how quick it happened. They were up 21 nothing in in the first quarter. And, um, you know, Didi Westbrook only had two receptions, but 100 yards and one touchdown. And an, another Big 12 coach said that he should be invited to New York for the Heisman. And I kind of start to see that, that argument. Um, he's phenomenal and... Um, I don't know if West Virginia was a paper tiger. It certainly looks that way, but um, they clearly were not ready for their close-up. And uh, big game Bob doesn't get it done in all the big games, but he certainly has his pulse on this conference, and he just knows how to win the Big 12 with ease. Yeah, Coach, um, did you take anything away from that game? Yeah, I mean, I I took away – you know, how well they were able to go in uh, to the road in harsh weather conditions and just run the ball the way they did. Samaj so P. Ryan and Joe Mixon, uh, 160 and 147, uh, respectively, for the Sooners. Uh, just the way they were able to run the ball and dominate the line of scrimmage was the thing that stood out to me the most. And then just them able to just jump out to that type of lead uh, on the road. I mean, anytime you do that, it's impressive. It's even more impressive when you do it on the road. And Morgantown is not an easy place to play, especially when it's cold, snowing, windy, all that, all those factors that, that, that keyed into it, you know, that was going to go against Oklahoma actually turned out uh, to go in their favor or just didn't affect them at all. And, and uh, you know, West Virginia would just uh, – I think there was a quote from uh, Dana Holgerson that says, you know, they – that said that uh, Oklahoma invented intimidation and they definitely got to us tonight and we couldn't handle it. So something about Oklahoma, the way they play, the way they just impose their will, uh, you know, of course, you know, trash talking, which is part of the game, I guess. And uh, it just kind of West Virginia was just kind of thrown off kilter the whole night and they just never could get in a rhythm. Didn't seem like they could or wanted to stop Oklahoma. It just seemed like they wanted to get out of there and, and as, as fast as they could. And, and, uh, and go from there. So, you know, very huge, very impressive win from Oklahoma just kind of shows you uh, what they're like, or what the potential could have been like. Uh, when we talked about them preseason, I think we finally saw them put it all together last night. And, and that's what we kind of, that's what we kind of discussed in the preseason uh, preview shows. So when we, when we, when it was Oklahoma's turn, we, we told you what they could do if they hit on all cylinders and you saw it last night. Yeah, I guess, um, you, know, you know, the Big 12 obviously doesn't have enough teams to have a title game, but they're basically getting a de facto title game in Bedlam. So, uh, I mean, that is, that is one nice thing that has worked out for them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I guess uh, just to circle back real quick to Charlie Strong is, you know, for people that just started watching football recently, they might think he's this laughable guy who doesn't know how to coach football, but – he took over Louisville after that program had been decimated by Craig Thorpe and, and some other bad coaching decisions, and he turned them around. He made them into a juggernaut. He won 23 games his last two years there, played in four straight bowl games, and he was one hell of a defensive mind at Florida. I think the biggest problem for him at Texas was all of his ties to Florida – really didn't help him recruit in Texas. I know he got some big names, but it just didn't feel like they had 
as deep a classes as we were used to. And I think he should become a defensive coordinator somewhere for a year or two. But one job that I think might be a perfect fit for all of his ties to the Sunshine State is Willie Taggart is an up-and-coming coach. Taggart's going to get a big-time job real soon. Charlie Strong sliding into South Florida might be a match made in heaven. Yeah, that's actually really not uh, a, a bad idea. Um, well, uh, we should keep it moving on, and we're going to head to the SEC, which, you know, was pretty much par for the course. A lot of blowouts against a lot of non-conference teams this week. But uh, the one, one of the conference matchups that went, uh, you know, surprisingly awry for some is Vanderbilt really dominating Ole Miss uh, in Nashville. And so, Coach, is Hugh Freeze on the hot seat? Uh, he's got to be. I mean, you know, Vanderbilt is, is a team that doesn't, you know, they don't win a whole lot. And they have never been known to win a whole lot. And they've never been known to really dominate. And then when they do win, it's kind of those close last-second field goal type, fluky type wins a lot of times. And, and they rarely dominate somebody, especially in conference. And, and I just didn't feel like Ole Miss really ever had control of this game. Uh, and they never really took control of this game in shape and, and – uh, Shea Patterson was introduced to one of the uh, top 30 defenses nationally uh, from Vanderbilt. And just, it was, you know, it was, it went awry early on. I mean, Ralph Webb run, ran for 123 and he scored three times. Uh, Shermer threw for 273. Um, the defense held, a, you know, held Ole Miss for, and this was their season low in points. Um, There's fumbled exchange with Shea Patterson and Keen Judd. Um, you know that you know anything. Anytime you're dealing with a freshman on the road, sometimes things like this can pop up, like bad mesh points and and all of that stuff. And uh, I mean, just anything and everything that could go wrong for for Van, or for Ole Miss, I should say, went wrong. And everything that could and did go right went right for Vanderbilt. And and what you saw was a 38-17 beatdown um, for uh, at home and. At Vanderbilt, and maybe this will maybe this will spark some interest from the powers to be at Vanderbilt University. Maybe they'll institute a uh, athletic department and start taking uh, football more seriously because it can be a big time sport for them. They, you know, with the, with Middle Tennessee becoming a, a bigger and better recruiting ground, uh, better than it ever has been. Vanderbilt has to keep some of these kids in. in in state and in area. And if they can do that, they can be a lot more competitive. And if Vanderbilt puts the resources in, you can see the product they put out on the field. And Derek Mason did a tremendous job last night. Yeah. And one thing I want to say, the 38 points that they scored against Ole Miss, the only team that they scored more uh, than 38 points against is MTSU. So besides that, in their games, they had scored 17, 16, 7, or sorry, 35 against Tennessee State, F- FCS team, 17, 13, 6, 31 against Western Kentucky, 7, 47 against Middle Tennessee State, and 10. So this is not an offense that puts up a lot of numbers. No. So that's, you know, that, that's really embarrassing for them. Um, Josh, uh, the, the big game, though, in the SEC this weekend was the Florida LSU game, uh, which got moved from Gainesville to Baton Rouge because of, because of a whiny AD. And uh, – LSU, the LSU AD got his comeuppance this weekend. Yeah, he did. Uh, that was one of the weirdest games I can remember. I mean, how often do you see a 99-yard touchdown pass? Um, and 
like there wasn't much passing yards. That was <laughs> that was such an impactful play. Um, yeah, I think it's pretty obvious that LSU, despite getting better offensively under Coach O, they didn't have Fournette. And that's such a big, big piece of their attack, even with them starting to open it up. You could see with LSU being held to 10 points and, and a field goal late in the game when it was uh, pretty much all going Florida's way, it seemed like, from, from an outside observer at the time. But um, I just don't think LSU had much going without Fournette. And hats off to Florida for, for wrapping up the East in a very roundabout way. They've had a lot of issues themselves, but uh, they certainly certainly proved it out there on the field by locking it down in a night game in Baton Rouge. Coach, how do you feel about that one? Well, I mean, you know, you hate to see, uh, you know, for me, being a Georgia fan, I hate to kind of see Florida take over and win the East again uh, when they were supposedly down. But, you know, they did, they did a tremendous job of just ignoring the noise, ignoring all the stuff around them, and then just going out and playing. You know, as, as much smack as we talk about uh, Jim McElwain and as uh, much as I feel like sometimes he deserves the nickname Swamp Donkey, uh, he, uh, he's done a tremendous job there. He's, he's changing the culture there at Florida. He's making – he's building Florida back into a legitimate contender. Um, and he's shown what he can do uh, with certain quarterbacks, and he's shown that he can he can get it done. And, uh, you know, he's back-to-back East champions, um, and that's certainly a good accomplishment. Um, no matter what those Florida fans think of him, he's done a tremendous job. And, you know, I, I like it because – you know, the, the reason I like it is because now the East – uh, hopefully can be more competitive. Hopefully the East can get its reputation back a little bit because Georgia's going to grow. Tennessee's likely going to grow. Um, they, you know, they, they should grow here in the near future. Um, Florida is, is on their track. Kentucky's getting better. Vanderbilt's getting better. So hopefully the East will become the new West and the West will uh, still remain competitive and, and maybe this conference can get back some of the prestige that it lost this year. Some of the, some of the shine that's worn off of it, uh, in, in the past couple of years. So um, it's a good thing if you're an SEC East team uh, to actually see a definitive champion. So, uh, you know, hats off to Florida. I don't, I don't say this much, um, but uh, I'll, I'll refer to them with a capital G for, uh, for, for this week. And then it's back to, uh, you know, not capitalizing their name. So, um, so yeah, hats off to them. They, they put LSU tough. I mean, LSU has been a tough team defensively, not, not letting, much get happen, uh, but you know what stood out to me was the back was the goal line stand from the from the one back to back play stuff in LSU um, at the one yard line, um, and it just showed how much they missed uh, Leonard Fournette. Yeah, I mean the crazy thing is that next week if uh, Ole Miss wins the Egg Cup and uh, Vandy beats Tennessee at home, and this Tennessee team is still limping a little bit. I know they put up sixty three points this weekend at Missouri, or against Missouri, but that Missouri team is decimated by injuries. Um, they could have twelve bowl eligible teams, um, which is you know absolutely crazy. The only teams that would not be going bowling would be Mizzou and Mississippi State. So, uh, yeah, perfect when you consider. Uh, where we thought South Carolina was as a program. You know, mm-hmm. another guy that's done a tremendous job is Will Muschamp, and he's kind of restoring his name a little bit, which is uh, which is impressive. So uh, hats off to South Carolina for being bowl eligible this year uh, in a year that we didn't think they would ever be bowl eligible. 
Yeah, and, you know, Kentucky struggled with Austin P a little bit at the beginning of the game, but then they really blew them out. Um, Josh was hoping that 0-10 Austin P would be able to beat Kentucky, but not quite. Um, well, let's move then to, uh, Josh, our, our, our home conference of the Big Ten. And my question for you is, you know, who looked worse in their tune-up for, next, for this week's big game, Ohio State or Michigan? Well, I think they both – had issues, but they were very, very different issues. Michigan's were obvious. They were having a new quarterback, John O'Corn, and the weather was terrible. There was snow. So um, I think, though, that they ended up pulling away from Indiana late. They, they survived that tough Indiana game. So um, it, you know, Michigan has had some issues. We've talked about their uh, running issues all season, and yeah, they're they're going to be tough for Ohio State because of what we just saw Ohio State do against Michigan State, and that's why the Buckeyes' performance was worse. Ohio State, you know, was going up against a team that had nothing to play for but pride, and everyone knew that Spartans could give them a game since Michigan State's a well-coached team and a, and a prideful program, and Ohio State just looked totally disinterested the entire game. They were lucky that D'Antonio called for a two-point conversion. I kind of like the aggressive call. It was MSU's bowl game. They had nothing to lose. Um, So I do sort of like that aggressive play. But it came down to a missed two-point conversion attempt as the difference in the game. Are you kidding me? It It was not even that bad of weather. Like, it was snowing in other parts of Michigan. It was not that bad, all things considered, in East Lansing. So the Buckeyes, I don't know where their head is currently. Their passing offense has really left a lot to be desired lately. So it's gonna be it's gonna be tough for Ohio State to be Michigan if they perform the way that they did. And um, in addition to Ohio State's pass offense struggling. What in the world was their rush defense doing? L.J. Scott, 19 carries, 160 yards, making Scott look like the back we thought he was going to be all year. This is not a good time to have a lot of issues, and Ohio State clearly has two major areas of concern going up against that Michigan team now. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Coach, uh, were you able to catch either of the the two two teams play this weekend? I watched more of Michigan than I did uh, Ohio State. But what, what I did watch of Ohio State was uh, pretty much spot on to what Josh said. They looked disinterested the whole time. They looked like they looked like a team that was like, okay, all right, well, I guess we have to play this one because it's on our schedule. Uh, we're not. I'm not really focused on it. Let's just go out here and survive this one and get to Michigan and beat Michigan and get to the playoff and let's go. And they just really. It just really affected them. They were not focused at all. Michigan State, their one, this was their bowl game. That was one. Their, was their one job to go out and beat Ohio State, and they almost did. Uh, it, was a, uh, it was a bad throw on a two-point conversion. It was a good call. Just uh, It was just uh, poorly, poorly, poorly executed. I did watch that play. L.J. Scott had a tremendous day for Michigan State. I saw every time I clicked over – um, I was watching the George. I was watching Georgia uh, boost up the uh, Sun Belt a little bit. 
Um, but I, I switched over when I kept getting alerts that it was a close game. I kept see, seeing L.J. Scott shred the uh, shred the Ohio State defense. So, um, you know, that guy's, a, that guy's a special type of back. I really, really was impressed with him. But uh, for Michigan, uh, you know, they, they had some bad weather. Uh, Indiana had a good game plan against them. Indiana's a pretty good team. And we can't, you know, we can't fault Michigan. Indiana is – Indiana always seems to play them tough, and uh, Michigan just survived, and uh, they had some injuries, especially uh, at the quarterback position, breaking in a new guy at that uh, position in bad weather at a night game where Indiana had a good game plan against them. It was, uh, it was about as good as they could do. I, I felt better about Michigan and the fact that they seemed to be, even though they struggled a bit, they seemed to be more in tune with that game uh, defense came through strong and, and really just seemed to, to support the offense because they knew it was going to be a struggle with the new quarterback. So I think Jabril Preppers took that into account and said, okay, we're going to put you on our back. We're going we're gonna to get this one for you. Um, it's going to be ugly. We, and they knew it was going to be ugly. And, uh, and they got out of there with a win. So I, I felt like it was a more gutsy win for, for Michigan than I did Ohio State. Yeah, you know, I I was more invested in the Indiana-Michigan game just because I really enjoy watching this Indiana team, and I love that they have a quarterback who has a number that's in the 20s. Um, It's uh, Flutie reminiscent. Uh, Flutie, the only good person to ever go through Boston College. Um, Jay Patterson wears number 20 as well for the the Reds. Oh, actually, I I missed that on on Saturday. That's a a lot of fun. I think it's, you know, I am all for, uh, you know, numbers – just being numbers, not having to, you know, have a certain number no, ma- no matter what position you play. So, um, anyhow, that's a random tangent that does not really matter at this point. We need to move, however, to the Pac-12, um, where we had one uh, spectacular, spectacular game in Washington State, Colorado. Uh, I know we were all watching that game. It was a, it was just a really fun, well-played, well-fought game between the two sides. But uh, a couple upsets. And, um, you know, my question, I guess I'll start with you, Josh, is who feels you know, worse today? Number 12, Utah, after losing at home to a hapless Oregon team that doesn't play defense, or uh, Arizona losing by 25 on the road at Oregon State, who we all know has – far less talent than anyone in, in the conference. Well, Utah feels by far the worst. Utah had a nice season going. They were still uh, alive through a couple of tie-breaking scenarios for winning the South. Um, one of them was the biggest chip was they had beaten the Trojans. So, so Utah has to feel really, really bad. And for Oregon State, though, I just want to – you know, they've been kind of lost out there in, in a long season. That They were 2-8 and eight going into that game. To, they wanted to get to 3-8. and eight. So I hadn't really looked at the Beavers. Um, so in preparing for the show, when I saw that question, I double-checked their schedule, and they sort of have shades of Colorado from a couple years ago where their losses aren't horrible, they lost by seven in the Twin Cities to a seven-win Minnesota team. They lost to this Utah team at home by just five points. They lost to a good Washington State team by four points. Uh, they hung tough with Stanford in the farm. Um, and I think this Arizona game was just them finally breaking through. Now I'm not going to say Oregon State's going to pull off what Colorado did this year, but I do think that Gary Anderson is starting to get that 
team and that program to turn a little bit around. And I'm curious if the Beavers can follow up this performance at home against Oregon in the Civil War, a rivalry that they've lost several years running now. Um, but, but maybe the Beavers are a team to kind of look at next summer when we're doing our, our preview shows as a team that can, can maybe sneak into a bowl game. Yeah, I want to throw a quick shout-out to their quarterback, Marcus McMarion. You want to talk about efficiency? How is 16 for 19 for 265 yards, five touchdowns, and zero picks? Um, All that Rich Rod defense, baby. Uh, yeah, so I, you can say that the you know Rich Rod has had problems with defense before. He seems to have a problem with defense again. Um, they had four different guys uh, take snaps at quarterback for them. It, uh, you know they are a mess with injuries, but he is skating on very thin ice out there in the desert in Tucson. Coach, um, you know, how did uh, what did you see from the uh, Oregon Utah game that uh, really stood out to you? Well, I mean, I I didn't watch. I'll be honest, I didn't watch any of it. I just kept following it through the the scores, and it just I just I don't know. I mean, I don't know why Utah, you know, ranked number eleventh in the country. They had still had a lot to play for, and they I don't know what was going through their head, but you know, Oregon, uh, you know, Oregon does what Oregon does. Um, and they, they kind of – what I saw from kind of some of the highlights is that Royce Freeman finally had a good day, uh, 20 carries, 129 yards. Uh, you know, they just kind of looked more like vintage Oregon, uh, more so than they ever have. And uh, Huck would agree with me as he uh, – Yeah, such Huck, is, Huck is definitely into Oregon. Well, uh, yeah. hold on. Well, let's move then to quickly to talking about that Colorado-Washington State game. Josh, you know, we were, we, we were texting throughout the game. And uh, what, what one thing uh, impressed you most about Colorado? Just one thing? Oh, boy. Uh, man, that's going to be tough to identify one thing because they did so many things right. And there really is nothing that they can, that you can take anything away. I mean, do you take out the – heady play of Cepho, their quarterback, and, you know, he was great with his arm, great with his feet. You take away the bruising Philip Lindsay. I don't think you can take one thing away and isolate one thing. But since you are forcing me to, I'm going to go with a man, Jim Levitt, making some great defensive adjustments. They somehow held Wazoo to just seven second-half points. Uh, 24 is pretty good to begin with against Washington State, but – seven points in two quarters. Are you kidding me? That I think was the biggest factor of all. Yeah. And you know, you know, they held Luke Falk under 50%. This is a guy who is one of the most accurate passers in the country. Um, he, he was 26 to 53. They were without um, my, my main man, River Craycraft um, uh, at wide receiver. They're down a couple receivers, but you know, they still are always going to be able to spin around, especially with Gabe Marks out there, but he was held to under 50 yards in the game. But for me, it came down to Colorado's run game. They were able to just chew up clock. You mentioned Philip Lindsay, um, but Cepho, Lufa had, you know, a, over 100 yards and three touchdowns on the ground. It was the first time that um, 
two uh, two Colorado teammates had uh, you know over a hundred yards in uh, in the same game in years. I forget exactly how many years, but um, it was one of the graphics on the game. It was just a thoroughly thoroughly impressive uh, effort by this Buffs team, and they have a real home field advantage up there in Boulder, don't they? Mike? Yeah, they really do. I mean, the, the uh, you know the atmosphere, the uh, the altitude, you know, just everything surrounding it. Uh, just just really brings that home field advantage more so than any team in the conference, um, which is which is a huge advantage. And and I, I'm glad to see Colorado's finally able to actually use that home field advantage because for a while the uh, the talent gap had uh, had pretty much erased their home field advantage. But um, you know I, I think that uh, McIntyre's done a tremendous job at building this roster. I think the Colorado administration um, has done a good job with uh, giving him what he needs to succeed. Um, and I think that uh, hiring Jim Levitt was probably one of the best things he could do and bolster that defense because, you know, as we say, uh, you know, offense, offense is for, uh, you know, for the TV, but defense is truly going to win you championships. I mean, you look at the top teams in the Pac-12, you look at the top teams really in any, any conference, and their defense usually stands out above their offense. And, and even, uh, even Washington State does play uh, – they play good defense. Washington plays good defense. Utah plays good defense most of the time. Uh, Colorado, they play great defense. You know, all of them play great defense. And, of course, you know, it, it's a human sport, so there's going to be days, there's going to be bad days, there's going to be outliers to it. But for the most part, those teams I just listed, they play good defense, and, and there's no coincidence. USC plays good defense. There's no coincidence that those are, those are the teams we're talking about in contention for the Pac-12 championship. So, you know, holding Luke Falk, who's going to be an NFL quarterback, to under 50% completion rating, uh, completion percentage, and holding uh, Washington State to just seven points in the second half is tremendous. And, um, and that should be commended on its own because Mike Leach is known for his offensive prowess. And, uh, and I think Mike Leach has done a good job of building his defense and building his roster as well. So Washington State's a, a team that's going to be on the rise as long as they can keep Mike Leach there. Um, you know, Colorado's a team that, that could be here to stay as long as Mike McIntyre's around. Uh, Utah, they're probably, more, they're probably more of a pretender uh, than a contender, but Kyle Whittingham's a good coach, and he'll have him in contention. USC will be back. I think they're, I think they're trending upward. So the Pac-12 is going to be interesting in years to come. They're just now – they're kind of on that cusp, and they're just now cranking up. You know, it's like, that, it's like that conference that's really competitive. It's like this Colorado team was last year is what the Pac-12 is right now. You know, Colorado was that team that was poised to succeed, and then, and then it exploded. I think the Pac-12 is going to explode next year. I think Pac-12 is going to be really, really good next year. All right. Well, uh, let's swing from the Pac-12 to our final conference, the ACC. And, uh, you know, it was uh, uh, definitely a weekend of, you know, the big upset came on Thursday night when Houston just decimated Louisville at home. We talked about that game a little bit earlier. Um, But a couple other uh, conference favorites won in, you know, expected fashion, um, you know. But uh, so let's – Take a look, and uh, my, my question, I guess, to you guys is, uh, Josh, we'll start with you. Who's the biggest threat to Clemson here in the conference? Well, I think the biggest threat to Clemson is, as cliche as this sounds, is themselves. When they are on point, they are unbelievably tough to beat. But they've slept a lot 
in some games. They, they barely beat NC State. Um, they get that big lead against Wake and then just sit on it. And the 35 to 13 score doesn't really indicate how big a talent gap there is between these two teams. So they finished with South Carolina. We just got done giving uh, Muschamp a lot of praise. So there's a game where Clemson can shoot themselves in the foot for their playoff hopes by stubbing their toe against South Carolina. Then the title game, they're going to probably get Virginia Tech. Um, I'm pretty positive that Virginia Tech's already wrapped it up. They have the tiebreaker with North Carolina. It'd have to be something very goofy, I think, to – that's probably the best matchup they could get in the title game because they don't want North Carolina. North Carolina, to answer your question, Josh, if there's any team um, outside of Clemson uh, being a threat to themselves is North Carolina. Uh, yeah. They are uh, – you know, it took a hurricane uh, to beat them, but they are un- undoubtedly the best team, um, the second-best team in this conference. Um, in, in the, Well, actually, they're the best team in that division that could give uh, – that could give Clemson the biggest fits. Yeah, I, I think that it's North Carolina's rushing attack is really um, is really the thing that Clemson would fear. But I, I think that Brett Venables is good enough has good enough control on this defense, and they have guys like Ben Bulware, who is still one of my favorite guys to watch. Um, I, I think that they have uh, enough that they, they should be able to really, you know, uh, to shut down the run game. And Trubisky has been running a little bit cold lately. Um, you know, obviously playing against the Citadel. Citadel had been having a, a miracle season. They were 10-0 and in um, FCS play. But one of the things that really stood out to me actually this weekend was, um, you know, how, how tough it was for Virginia Tech to win at Notre Dame. This Notre Dame team has pretty much given up. And, you know, Virginia Tech needed a furious comeback in the fourth to win by three. So I don't know if uh, either of you guys caught that game at all. But, um, I mean, we can talk about Notre Dame here for a second because they are sort of a quasi-ACC team. And, you know, this has been a really bad year for Brian Kelly. Do you think he will get the act, Josh? You know, he's so close to his – better days um you know you asked the question about Hugh Freeze and you know you look at Hugh Freeze he goes seven eight nine ten wins and then before this year and Brian Kelly's kind of the same way he slowly improved this program uh from let's be honest the the Charlie Weiss and the uh before that um I'm blanking on his name oh the former Washington coach you know yeah the Winningham and uh um Weiss era just completely decimated this program, and he's done a really good job. 8, 8, 12, 9, 8, 10. So he's building it back up, and none of us saw this happening. But it's Notre Dame. You, you can never get a read on them. Yes. You, well, you, it, it turns out, uh, uh, coaches inform me that Notre Dame has announced that Kelly will return. So I guess that sort of switches the question for us. In, um, I guess but his seat's going to be super hot next year. Yeah, it's, yeah. So what does he have to? So what does he have to do to make sure he gets off the hot seat? Besides just win, like, is there any one specific thing that he needs to focus on within that team? I think they need for defense. <laughs> yeah, I think they need to win double digit. I think he needs to. Uh, I think this defensive coordinator hire is going to be of utmost importance. Um, 
there's some there's some uh, in staff stuff that I'm sure he's going to have to change, and they're going to have to see uh, rapid improvement. I think ten games is is got to be the mark for them. Uh, maybe a New Year's Six bowl appearance um, has got to be the the mark for him uh, or better. Um, but you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I think it would have been short sighted for uh, Notre Dame to fire Kelly after this year um, because this is by far right now, this is just the outlier as far as he's concerned at Notre Dame. So um, I think they, I think they want to make sure that this is just an outlier and that he doesn't go somewhere else and just start winning big and, and they screw up by firing him too soon. Um, and uh, so I don't know. And this off season, somebody could come calling and, and, and he could go somewhere else. Uh, that wouldn't shock me at all either. Um, his stock is in, uh, it feels like it's at an all time low, but I think he's okay. Maybe I think maybe after Tom Herman, we were led to believe. Yeah, maybe after Tom Herman rejects the Texas offer, uh, Kelly goes and goes on into Texas. Yeah, I would. Yeah. That wouldn't. Nothing would shock me at this point. Yeah. Well, no. I brought up. Well, I brought up their schedules uh, for next year, both Ole Miss and Notre Dame, because. Neither coach is getting fired this year, and obviously Coach already said that Notre Dame's announced that Kelly's coming back for next season. Um, but their hot season is going to start as soon as this year ends, and I was looking at their schedules, and both coaches face an uphill battle. Um, Notre Dame has that really good Temple team. Your Georgia Bulldogs, September 9th. Yep. Uh, then at BC, again, that they should win easily. At Michigan State, which will be interesting, I'm sure the Spartans will be a lot better. Uh, then they should be able to beat Miami of Ohio. Um, then at that really tough North Carolina team, USC, the Wolfpack at home, they should be able to win that. Wake Forest at home, they should be able to win that. Uh, at my at Miami, Navy, who's been giving them fits lately, and out at the farm on Stanford. So I'm looking at the Miami the NC State, the Wake Forest game, Miami, Ohio, um, NC State, Wake Forest as three locks, and Temple as a game that they probably should win, and Boston College as a lock also. That's only five games right there where you look at their schedule and you go, oh, done, put those in the win column. That leaves a lot of losses out there. And then for Ole Miss, Hugh Freeze might want to start looking at the housing market because I did not realize how tough Mississippi's schedule is next year. And then – Non-conference, they travel out to California, who that's not an easy trip. It's a long, it's a long flight. Teams going east to west sometimes don't do so hot, and Cal can score at will. And then they're at Bama, at Auburn, a crossover with Vandy, um, LSU, Arkansas, at Kentucky, another team that's improved this year, uh, Lafayette, A&M, and then at Mississippi State. I mean, they've got that back-to-back of – Alabama Auburn, it could have three losses before Halloween. Yeah, they definitely could. Um, it's going to be uh, uphill sledding for them, but you know, I, I still think that both these programs have the resources and you know, and the talent. Both these programs have have recruited very well recently, and so there's no reason that the, that these two coaches can't turn things around. They just, you know, coach like you always talk about, it's going to come down to culture. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just culture, culture, culture. I mean, that's important in any program you look at. Georgia's going through a 
a complete culture shock as well. Um, but, uh, you know, that if, if you, if your culture starts sliding downhill, um, then, uh, then you're in trouble. So what Hugh Freeze is going to have to do in the off season, what Brian Kelly's going to have to do in the off season, um, is make sure that his culture, because they're right now they're in a slot and their culture is garbage. Ole Miss has gone through a lot of distractions with these NCAA investigations is starting to kind of come to a head. They've had, they've had a lot of key injuries. Um, they just, anything that, anything that could go wrong for Ole Miss this year has gone wrong. Um, they've, they've quite, they face quite a bit of distraction. Um, so they're going to have to kind of put a lid on that, get a grip on it, and then just try to figure out a way to, to exist um, and improve their culture. Same with Notre Dame. Notre Dame has gone through a lot of adversity. You know, they've, they've gone through – they've been through the ringer. They've, they've lost games in every which way they could lose games. Uh, they've gotten dominated. They've lost tight ones. They've blown leads. Um, you know, they've, they've looked flat in other games. Um, they've, they've lost just about every possible way you could lose. Um, and, and right now, uh, Brian Kelly is going to have to fight uh, a – he's going to have to fight what looks to be a declining locker room in his support. You know, I think he's going to have to change and adapt some of his philosophies, some of his personality traits. I think he's going to have to kind of change as a person um, so that he can win this locker room back because that's vital. If he loses that locker room, which he's on the verge of doing, he's, he's going to be gone, and he's going to be gone midseason. Uh, you take one on the chin against Georgia next year, and he might be out because um, he will lose that locker room and they might fire him that weekend. So – um, it'll, it'll be interesting to kind of see what transpires in South Bend. But, yes, they absolutely have to fix the culture or they will lose their teams. You know, uh, Brian Kelly, start, uh, you know, again, I think he, I think he's unreasonably tough on the players sometimes. I think he, I think he uh, thinks he's motivating them, but he ends up degrading them. So I think that's kind of a – I think that's kind of an issue with him. Hugh Freeze is starting to look like a used car salesman and – you know, I think he's making too many promises that he can't keep. And uh, same with Butch Jones. You know, Butch Jones is hanging on by duct tape and bubble gum and paper clips. Um, and he's starting to kind of he's starting to kind of be exposed for making too many promises that he can't keep as well. So you know, you're starting to see some of uh, some of these integrity issues arising um, in certain programs that are declining. Yeah. Um, well, you know, that is obviously going to be a lot of our discussion for the off season. So uh, we can wait for it then. And we've got to wrap up today's show right now, but we will be back at you uh, before Thanksgiving this week in order to uh, record our preview for the final week of the regular season. So um, we hope that all of you out there have safe travels uh, on your ways to wherever you are going uh, this holiday season, or if you're just staying home. But um, we hope that you are able to catch some football this coming weekend. So, um, But that's going to do it for us today. So on behalf of the coach, Corey Burton, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook, this is the professor saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Rock Chuck Jayhawk. Rock Chalk Jayhawk KU. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. 
To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.